He was a married man when he decided he had to be a woman, had sex change surgery to his lasting regret. He tells the story today. It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Michael Brown is the director of the Coalition of Conscience and president of Fire School of Ministry. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Friends, last week on October 20th, after much, much anticipation, the important movie In His Image was made available to the public. You can watch it at inhisimage.movie. You can watch it for free. Someone tweeted me back the other day after watching it and said, I believe it's the most important film out today. It tells the true story about what it means to be created in the image of God, male and female. He created us. And then it deals with compassion, with questions about sexual orientation and gender confusion. And one of the testimonies featured prominently in this documentary is that of Walt Heyer. He was 42 years old. He was married, father, corporate executive. When he decided he could not take the conflict he was living with anymore, had what is called gender reassignment surgery, lived as a woman for eight years, and then realized that the deepest issues in his life has not, had not been dealt with. He had a life-changing encounter with the Lord and has recovered his male identity for the last 30 years and been married for 20-plus years and just yesterday turned 80 years old and yet is active, is, is rather than slowing down, is giving himself to help those with gender confusion. We'll tell you about some of his books and resources so joining me today on The Line of Fire, Walt Heyer. Walt, thanks so much for coming back on the air with us. Yeah, thank you, Dr. Brown. It's a pleasure to be on talk about this absolutely fantastic movie that everyone that listens to the show today needs to watch. All right, so, so Walt, you're, you're 80 years old. You're obviously just chatting with you and watching you. You seem to be in vibrant health, full of energy. But why not just slow down? Why not just kind of step away from the controversies and, and you know, just kind of have a nice retirement? Why are you still in the thick of one of the most controversial, difficult, uh, thankless subjects of, of the day? Because it's the most controversial and thankless thing there is going on today, and I want to be in the middle of it. Mm. Why? What motivates you? Well, because I went through it and I see too much harm being done. You know, we have a website called sexchangeregret.com. And I said, is the moment I stop getting people asking for help because they were wrongly diagnosed or they made a mistake and went through the surgery, the second those emails asking for help stop, then I will stop. Got it. All right. So before we get into your own story, and again, it's told powerfully, folks, on the video in his image. Uh, before we do that, just to ask this question, how many people do you hear from at sexchangeregret.com? How, how often are people reaching out to you or, or through other means reaching out and saying, I'm struggling or I have a family member that's struggling? Yeah, it, it happens every single day. Uh, it's either a family member, a grandfather, a, a wife, um, or a, anybody that's gone through this has contacted me. Uh, either most of them have gone through it between 
three weeks and 30 years later. That, I mean, the duration of time that this covers is like 30 years. Mm. So when you're saying going through this, you're saying people that, that actually tried to change gender, saying I'm trapped in the wrong body and tried to change their body to adjust with what they were feeling on, on the inside. What, what kind of stories do you hear? What, what, what are people thinking when they realize, I say a young woman had a mastectomy and then comes a few years later to wonder what in the world did I do? What, what kind of stories do you hear? This is one of the best questions that uh, people need to hear the answer to. And we work with literally hundreds, even thousands of people. And the one major thread that runs through this is abuse of some kind, either emotional abuse, psychological abuse, physical abuse, or sexual abuse has occurred to these individuals sometime during their life, either younger or middle-aged teens. Uh, something happened to them that caused them to not like who they are and they don't want to be who they are and so by virtue of trying to identify as a transgender person take on a different ident identity in a way to not feel the pain of what happened to them mm. all right so so Walt, in, in your own life as you've told your story probably thousands of times by now and in, in, in numerous documentaries and again in the brand new one in his image Go to inhisimage.movie. And friends, a reminder, if you're a pastor or leader and would like to, to host uh, a viewing of this so you can bring people together in your community, and then uh, American Family Association will send you lots of supplemental material to, go to, to use with it, all that info is on the website, inhisimage.movie. So, Walt, in, in your own life, what were the major things that you can point back to that produced this, this gender identity confusion in your own life? Well, the first thing that happened was when I was four years old, my grandmother, when she was babysitting me, who was a seamstress, made me a purple chiffon evening dress mm. and put me in this dress and told me how cute I was, how wonderful I looked. And of course, at four years old, you have no idea what the consequences are going to be or that you're going to be on the Michael Brown show 76 years later, mm. saying, you know, this caused me a lifetime of confusion and stress. Because when you take a young boy at the age of four, put him in a dress and affirm him as a little girl, what you're really saying, this is key, what you're really saying to that boy is that there's something wrong with you as a boy and you'd better off as a girl. So all of a sudden you're, you're shaming him about who he is and tell him you need to be somebody else. Uh, to me, in looking back at this, that's child abuse, and it really needs to stop. Wouldn't it be so wonderful if Grandma would have said how cute I was as a boy, how wonderful I was as a boy, and, and built that image up? But she didn't. She began to destroy it and tear it down. And, and she was just being a grandmother, and for whatever reason, her background, seamstress, she didn't have malicious intent, right? She just didn't have understanding? Right. She had, again, consequences. It's one of the big words that gets left out of this conversation is that she had no idea what the consequences were. I didn't know what the consequences would be, but they've lasted a lifetime. Mm -hmm. All right. So four years old, your grandmother puts you in a dress when she's babysitting and compliments how you look. And obviously you like being affirmed. And so that 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 gets in there. Uh, but then there's something very traumatic that takes place after that. What, what happens next? Yeah, well, 
two, there were two events. One, my dad was just totally devastated when he found out his little boy was being dressed up by grandma because he didn't know for two and a half years this was going on. Mm. So he felt really betrayed, and I could never go back to grandma's house without him being there. So he used a hardwood floor plank on me as a disciplinary tool. But I think in his mind, what he was really trying to do was like a blacksmith pounding on hot iron. He was really trying to reshape me into a strong young man. But what really was happening was it was even causing probably more devastation inside me being hit with that hardwood floor plank. But here's the key. The key is that purple dress became kind of known within the family. And my Uncle Fred at the time was a teenager. And because of that purple dress, he felt when I, by the time I'm eight or nine years old, that I was fair game to be sexually molested. Mm. And so he began this process for a time of sexually molesting me. Now, Walt, what, what ends up happening in your own life and then struggling with transgender identity issues is one thing. Others respond to sexual abuse differently. But can you just try to explain for all of us who can't relate to being abused personally, what, what kind of trauma is that for a child? Uh, in, this, in this case, it's homosexual abuse you were subjected to. But what, what kind of trauma? Uh, how does it mess up that child's equilibrium, uh, understanding of sexuality, relating to others? I mean, what, what's, what's the impact of it? Yeah, the impact, I think, is really crucial. And, and I hear this from people that I've worked with. Uh, and what we try to do, and this is so important for us to grasp, is that I wanted to rid myself of my genitalia, not because I wanted to be a female so much as I did not want to be sexually molested again. So if you can, if you can look at this from a standpoint of that idea of being taken off my genitalia was a way to protect myself from being sexually molested. So I felt, and many other people that I've worked with felt, that was a defense mechanism against being sexually harmed. And would that be similar to, say, a girl who is molested by a heterosexual, so she's molested, abused by a male, and then as she, gets up, as she grows up, she is repulsed by the idea of sexual romantic relationships with a male and instead gravitates towards relations with a female? Could, could that also be part of that self-protection mechanism? It's absolutely connected to that exactly. Yeah. All right. So, friends, again, inhisimage.movie is where you go to watch the movie. It's free. To go to Walt Heyer's website, especially if you're struggling, if you have questions for yourself or family members, sexchangeregret.com. And there's a question posted uh, about intersex people. We'll come to that in a moment. But, Walt, let's fast forward now. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you you get married, you start a family. Were you acting things out otherwise or struggling on the inside while living as a married man and father? Yeah, sure. That, that, that purple dress began to play out in my head every day. I mean, that, that image, that affirmation really messes with who you are and you begin to think there was something wrong with me. Mm. I think that's a critical point. There must have been something wrong with me as a boy. Mm. So you begin to question everything you do. And so it just continued throughout my uh, going to high school. I mean, I had girlfriends. I dated girls. One of my first girlfriends um, 
Lola Joy Phipps. What a great name. I mean, that is, I mean, I still remember that name today. She was great. But I, I told her about what I was struggling with. And that's the first person that I kind of shared it with. And so she broke off the relationship. So what I, what I realized was that I had to keep this a secret. It wasn't something that you could talk about. This was in the 1950s. So uh, you realize that you're caught between this purple dress and acting out a real life because something happened that caused you this entire confusion about who you are and who you're going to be. Got it. All right, so friends, we come back, we're going to talk with Walt Heyer about the decision he made to have sex change surgery, what happened as a result of that. If you yourself are struggling or want to call in on behalf of someone else, you might be a parent dealing with a situation with your teenager, you're not sure how to approach these things, phone lines are open, 866-348-7884. It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get into the Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. I'm sitting with Walt Heyer, courageous man serving the Lord, standing in one of the most difficult areas to stand when you get ridiculed and mocked and attacked from every angle. And yet he knows the help he's received in his life and wants to share that help with others and for years, I've, I've pointed folks to his website, to his books. I'm, I'm holding in my hands here, A Transgender's Faith by Walt Heyer. Uh, we'll be putting some other of his books on the screen as he interacts with me. But I, I get questions on a regular basis from folks who say, what do I do? This situation is going on in my household. My child is this, year, this many years old and is convinced they're transgender. And there is a whole thing in their school pushing in a certain direction. And what do I do? How do I respond? So Walt has been one of the key resources and a man who's lived this out because of which he produced a website, sexchangeregret.com. And as he said in our first segment, that he'll stop when the need stops. So Walt, you are married with children, an executive in a company, you realize that if you go ahead and get sex change surgery, things are going to change dramatically. Did you know how much you would lose before you started, before you went through it? Did you fully recognize how much you were going to lose in the process? No, I had no idea uh, what was going to take place. And, you know, I'd been struggling with that purple dress, doctor, for, from such a young age. And you, you kind of want to get it resolved. By the time I finally went to uh, a gender therapist, um, Dr. Paul Walker in San Francisco, he was the leading expert in the United States on diagnosing gender dysphoria or gender identity disorder. And I was affluent enough where I could go see him at his office on Union Street in San Francisco. And I knew, you know, because he was the expert, he was going to give me the straight scoop. And I, I went in there and met with him. Uh, at 38 years old, 39 years old, right in there. And he said, well, you're, and I gave him my life story about being sexually abused, being cross-dressed, all those things happen. And certainly I was engaged in cross-dressing from the time that that purple dress was on me until I went to see him. So I was still engaging in these transvestite or uh, transgender behaviors. 
And so he diagnosed me right away with gender dysphoria, and he said the solution for you is hormone therapy and gender reassignment surgery, but you need to wait two years, go through the hormone therapy. And, and so that's exactly what I did. I was, I was amazed at how quickly he came to the conclusion that I needed hormone therapy and gender reassignment surgery. And today this is a common occurrence. Yeah, and I'm just looking at the bio of this Dr. Paul Walker when Walt says that he was the leading expert here just on Wikipedia, who's an American social psychologist and founding president of the HBIGDA, the Harry Benjamin International Gender Dysphoria Association, now known as WPATH, the World Professional Association for Transgender Health in 1979. He also served as director of the Janus Information Facility and so on then with, with all of his his background here. So he, he was the man. You, you couldn't have picked someone better he was my therapist right and so he'd been around enough that your case just presented itself as no-brainer this is you have gender dysphoria this is the solution yeah exactly and and again i i think it's critical that i told him about you know the early childhood the other issues being sexual none of those things seemed to impact him he just said well you need hormones and gender reassignment surgery so i went through the hormone therapy and and in in 1983, early 1983, after divorcing my wife in November of 82, I underwent gender reassignment surgery. I was an executive with a large automotive company, and I notified them of what I'd done, and they uh, put all my things in a box, marched me out to the gate, and terminated me on my birthday. Um, and and so I was gone. I, I was done within a very short period of time. Uh, I had been trying, I, I was an executive, I had a great job. I tried jobs at BMW and many other corporations. They would not touch me because I'd gone through this procedure. I ended up homeless and broke, living in a park in Long Beach, California, laying in a pile of vomit. And so that is the consequences. Mm. All right, so certainly there'd be many transgender activists and allies who'd say that's the whole problem, that society rejected you. And if your family had affirmed you, or at least you couldn't be discriminated against on the job, or this was not a mark against you for other employment, then you never would have been homeless and, and finding yourself in a pile of vomit. So that's the whole issue, societal acceptance. What would you say to that? Uh, I'm so glad you brought this up. Because the truth is, the real problem was Dr. Paul Walker. Dr. Mm. Paul Walker not identifying sexual abuse as a crime and as a reason to not give someone hormone therapy or put them through gender reassignment surgery. Sexual abuse causes people a great deal of difficulty. Being cross-dressed by a grandmother, being affirmed, all those things are reasons to not give somebody hormone therapy and gender reassignment surgery, not society. The real problem was Dr. Paul Walker. The real problem was this idea that you can actually change someone's gender, which we know today is totally false. No one is in the history of the world has ever changed a man into a woman or a woman into a man. All you do is feminize a man or masculinize a woman. They don't change genders. So when we're talking about actual identity, not, not perception, I might perceive myself to be really fast and I can jump well and sing well and all of that may be false, it's just my own perception. So we're not talking about what someone perceives, we're talking about reality. So biological sex, 
you're saying that that is not mutable or changeable. So we recognize that there's a phenomenon called intersex, which would be well under 1% of the population, where there's a biological or chromosomal abnormality, where, where someone maybe appears to be male and then begins to develop as female or has ambiguous or dual, dual genitalia. So that's, that's an actual biological or chromosomal abnormality. And we, we recognize it as an abnormality, just like God made the eyes for seeing, but some people are blind, and the ears for hearing, but some people are deaf. So it, it's a disability, and we work with folks to help them in the midst of that. But in terms of changing from male to female, what kind of genetic markers do we have in our body? In other words, it's, it's not, it goes beyond the physical organs. There's much more that marks this as male and female, isn't there? Well, there's a, a thing called intermorphology. It's really what comprises every part of your body. Mm-hmm. And you can't alter that. No matter what you do cosmetically to make a man look like a woman, your morphology is still the same. In fact, I challenged Dr. Paul Walker and Dr. Biber, who did the surgery, to prove in the California Superior Court that they actually changed me into a female. And they wrote a document, which I was published in the Daily Signal, and they had to admit that hormones and surgery do not change anything on you to female. All it does is give you a mixed, they use the word mixed, or it stays male, or your morphology is the same. So I looked at this when I saw this document that that they put in Superior Court, and I realized, you know, I, I hate to use the word, but it's a fraud. I mean, they, they pre- really did surgical fraud. Right. So when, when we think through the implications of this, and by the way, we, we want to take some calls. So if you're on, uh, on hold, we want to get to, to some calls and, and talk together as a family here with, with Walt, who's lived this out and then spent years researching, studying, interacting with people firsthand. So we want to be as practical as, as we possibly can. But Walt, the ante is up now when you have, say, a boy that's six years old, and he's sure that he's a girl. And let's say no one can po- no one can figure out what the trauma was, wasn't abused, wasn't put in the dress, whatever. Okay? Right. Six years old, he's convinced he's a girl. You go see the local psychologist. Psychologist says, okay, he has gender dysphoria, so you need to start dressing him as a girl, referring to him as a girl, giving him new pronouns, na- new names, send him to school as a girl. Then when he gets maybe around, what, nine, ten years old, we need to give him... Uh, hormone blockers to stop the onset of puberty and then get him ready for sex change surgery as as soon as he's old enough. Uh, That, in your mind, is nothing less than child abuse, correct? Absolutely, child abuse. And sure, a young boy, you know, I think all young kids are curious about their gender. I mean, they're looking at girls and boys and they're wondering, and, and maybe they are with, they have a sister that's getting more attention than they are if they're a boy. So they think, well, if I'm a girl, I'll get as much attention as my sister. Many of these things play out in the household. So, but the fact of the matter is no young person, again, knows the consequences of them talking about, I feel like a girl or I want to be a girl. I want to dress like a girl. A lot of this now is happening because of TV shows, because mm-hmm. of things that kids are seeing. And so I, I actually feel like this is much more a social contagion than anything else. It's just sort of that whole thing where people have developed this idea where parents are approving them for this kind of procedures. 
and they don't know what's going to happen to them down the road, and we won't know for 15 or 20 years. Yeah, so even, even hormone blockers, the potential of sterilizing kids for life, so maybe they make a decision, okay, I'm not going to go ahead with sex-chain surgery. They may have sterilized themselves already. Other procedures, they certainly will, and no matter what they do, they will, they will not actually become what they want to become. So we want to address that, the issue of, of comorbidity, of, of other issues that can be at work in someone's life. And if, if you say, hey, uh, transgender surgery, gender confirmation surgery is the best thing that ever happened to me and my life is fulfilled and happy, no one's arguing with your individual story that's between you and God. Let's just say for sure, we know that God has a better way, number one, to make you whole from the inside out. And number two, there are a whole lot of people who are hurting and they have nowhere to go. Many, you never hear their story because they commit suicide before you get to hear it. We'll be right back. It's The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown, your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks for joining us today on The Line of Fire. If you have a question for my guest, Walt Heyer, 866-348-7884, 866-34-TRUTH. To find out more about Walt's story and for help with those struggling with transgender-related issues, go to Sex Change Regret. Dot com to find out about this wonderful new documentary that I had the honor of hosting that Wall plays a major role in with his testimony go to inhisimage.movie you can watch for free there when I checked a few days ago it was well over 200,000 views already in the first five days so check it out for yourself inhisimage.movie pastors leaders uh, host a screening at your church you'll get a lot of free resources with it as well we want to get this out as far and wide as we can, absolutely free. Uh, let's go to the phones with Dottie in Las Vegas. Welcome to the Line of Fire. Thank you, Dr. Brown. Um, real pleasure to speak with you. I enjoy everything that you're doing. And, thank you. Well, thank you so much for your testimony. No, thank you. Um, I, I don't have a question for you, Walt, but I do thank you, and I just wanted to validate um, to the parents out there of um, children, uh, younger children, and even adult children uh, who are struggling with this sexual identity issue, uh, especially transgenderism, uh, that abuse really does play a big, a big role, um, or can anyhow. Uh, I, my husband and I are parents of a transgender adult uh, daughter who. Um, we discovered uh, when she was 22 uh, through social media when she came out, as um, she would call it. Um, I, I kind of call it going in because I think it's more hiding than it is actually coming out. Um, she came out as transgender, came out as um, a prostitute um, working legally in another county nearby, and uh, uh, also involved in the pornography industry, and uh, that was a dark day, I will tell you, uh, mm. June 8th of, ni- of uh, 2017, and she was 22 years old, she's mm. 25 now, uh, for three years, uh, the better part of three years, um, we took a stand 
to stand with her for her in in a frightening way because the tendency is to succumb to shame and guilt mm-hmm. being a Christian family um, whose daughter and son were raised in the faith and uh, baptized and all that um, a lot of a lot of fear of uh, what are people going to say um, what does that do to my ministry um, as a Christian coach and lay counselor in my church? Um, what does this do for, I mean, how does this really shine Jesus to our unsaved family members? Right. Um, it was terrifying. I, I am not going to lie. Um, my husband took it um, a different direction. It took him a, a few minutes <laughs> few months, I should say, to really come to the point that he could get past his pain and his shock and his grief, um, but he did, and and so we were both able to stand with her in a, in a loving way, I believe, Christ-like way, where we could love her as she is, where she's struggling, just like Christ did for us and does for us and yet still stand against the belief that she is a man. Mm-hmm. And um, and so we stood in our faith, and we stood um, <laughs> fearlessly and yet terrified, if that makes any kind of sense. Total sense. Total sense. Okay. Um, a lot of travail on this end in private. And um, I came across, actually, um, a lot of... Uh, information to do with you, Walt, and also uh, an excerpt from something that Laura Perry had written in her book, Transgender to Transformed, Mm -hmm. and things were resonating, and I'm like, wow, I'm not the only person, we're not Mm -hmm. the only people going through this. Mm -hmm. And I I have Laura's book, I I went through well, and I marked it up like a textbook, um, and have connected with her since. And, And so to see in his image out there, I am thrilled. I'm utterly thrilled. And, and, and I can hardly wait to see it totally uh, in its fullness and also to encourage my church to do a screening. Dottie, when, when, you, when you watch the thing that will stir you the most in, in Laura's testimony, so here was a young woman felt the only way to find wholeness and peace was as a man had a full mastectomy, had a hysterectomy, after 10 years of living as a man, found wholeness in in the Lord and now has regained her identity as as Laura. And her her smile is is very beautiful and genuine. It's a very, very moving story to watch. But the role that her mom, who was a a legalistic Christian, did not start where you were starting with that kind of attitude. God had to transform her first. And then she and the prayer group, these older women, Mm -hmm. they prayed Laura into wholeness in the kingdom and, and when she was at so you get to see them all in the movie you know it's it's mm-hmm. it's quite dramatic uh but when laura hit her lowest is is when she found all these cards from these women who had been praying for her for a period of years and uh it, it was her lifeline so Dottie, we we want to call on 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 our viewers and listeners to be part of your prayer team to pray for your daughter's complete wholeness where is she at right now? Well, like I said, for the better part of three years, um, we were in relationship. We were doing things together. 
Um, we were uh, Marco Poloing. It's a video chat app that we were doing even when she was at the brothel. We would Marco Polo to uh, each other. And uh, her 25th birthday this last February, um, she decided to estrange herself from us. Mm. I believe that's because the um, testosterone that she's been injecting herself with since, I think, November of last year um, was changing her voice and changing her her brain um, because the hormones really do have a, a huge effect. And mm. I think changing her personality, um, she could not... I, I think there's something in her that could not endure being around us while she was doing that. Yeah. And I think that there was something about the way that we were shining, shining such a strong light of love of Christ for her that she could not do it and um, and continue to do it in that light. I think yeah. it really shone. No, that to that her. makes that makes absolute sense. Walt, what would you like to say to Dottie? Well, I think, you know, you talked originally when you started talking, Dottie, about the sexual abuse. And what's interesting, I think, when you watch in his image, you will notice the four people in the movie were all sexually abused. Laura, myself. Uh, And and so these this is such a great issue. And people don't realize that when somebody's sexually abused, uh, something's happened to them. And it's going to cause them to go through some kind of trial. And and you're experiencing that uh, with your daughter. And um, we will certainly be praying for her to be redeemed and restored because it's certainly possible. And And that's where my hope lies in that possibility. In your testimony, even after all those years, in Laura's testimony, even after all those years and all the the physical ways that you tried to, to get that that hole fill to get that wound covered to get to hide um it just it is so it's such a spring of hope for us yeah. because through christ we know christ. god is not done yet yes no. yes no. and and Dottie, as god called me as someone with with no background in this never struggling with sexual issues never struggled <laughs> in, in terms of uh, of homosexuality yeah. in terms of uh, gender questions but called in to help and to support and to be a voice. So in the process, I've, I've gotten to meet and hear from many who are transformed. And, and I, I distinctly remember some calls where the, the, the lifeline was the prayers of the mother mm-hmm. coming out of homosexuality or, or something else, and, and they would call in. So, Father, we, we together as your family stand with Dottie and her husband on behalf of their daughter, their girl, mm-hmm. their little girl who's now 25 and mm-hmm. struggling, Lord, pour so much light and love upon her that she will come running to you for help or grace. Save her, set her free, transform her. May we hear the testimony in the days to come. In Jesus' name, amen. Dottie, thank you for calling. And friends, join with Dottie and her husband in prayer. You, you, got, you got an army that's going to be praying. Uh, Walt, there are some other calls I want to get to, but first, your own story you, you've divorced your wife. You're obviously alienated from your children. You've lost your job. You've lost everything. You hit rock bottom. You live as a woman for eight years, but aside from the outward things, the loss of everything, you haven't found inward wholeness. How, how do you come to find wholeness and go back to being Walt? What happened? Well, that, that's a real journey, and, and that, 
that wholeness. Um, you know, it's it's so funny about you. If you watch each of us in the movie in his image, you'll see that it was kind of a subtle encounter. Things took place over a period of time, but the turning point was kind of subtle. Mm. It, you know, in my situation, it was just prayer. And in, in Stephen's story, he was sitting on a couch next to somebody and Laura was looking at cards. I mean, you know, we, we think of these things. Uh, how does someone come to this point? It takes a long time. For me, I was actually deep in prayer and I had been struggling for many years with this. But um, in that prayer, and you can read about it in A Transgender's Faith, where the Lord actually appeared to me during the prayer. And he was there reaching out to me to redeem and restore my, my life. And, and that's when my life changed. So, uh, you know, it's, it's not as dramatic as you think, but it does take a long time to get there. So I, I had a lot of people. I mean, I went to a church in Southern California, and that was an interesting one. As, as a woman. As a woman, and signed into the book, and all the ladies are gathering around me, and I'm like, this is great, and the pastor's wife sat next to me, and and the, his, he got up and gave the sermon, and I thought, well, this is great, and I'm leaving as Laura in my red high heel pumps, thinking I'm hip, slick, and cool, and I get out there and have my coffee and donut at the table. I'm going, okay, I'm in. This is good. So that afternoon, I looked out my front window of my little condo, and here comes the pastor walking down the walkway. And I'm thinking, this guy's going to welcome me. He's going to hug me, saying how great it is to have me in the church. He knocked on the door, and I opened the door up. He stepped in and said, we don't want your kind in our church. Oh. And I laughed. I literally laughed. And I looked at him, and I said, oh, okay, what kind do you want? Amazing. All right, Walt does have this encounter with the Lord that's life-changing. We'll hear about it and get your calls, too. Stay right here. It's The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks, friends, for joining us on The Line of Fire. Super important subject as we talk about people loved by God going through various kinds of struggle. Don't confuse struggle with gender identity with sexual orientation, as it's called, with homosexuality. They're, in many cases, most cases, largely unrelated. But to find out more about those who struggle, maybe you yourself are contemplating sex change surgery, you're on hormones, you're a parent wondering what to do, go to sexchangeregret.com, sexchangeregret.com, and everyone, watch the movie, inhisimage.movie, inhisimage.movie. It's free. You'll want to watch it and share it with as many as you can. So, Walt, how do you finally get to that place of wholeness in the Lord and recover your identity as Walt, not Laura? Yeah, well, you know, this was through a different church. I went to a church. I sat down with a pastor before I ever went to church on Got Sunday it. again because I didn't want that same thing to happen. Got it. And so I sat across from Pastor Jeff, and I looked at him, and I said, Pastor Jeff, are you going to try to change me back to Walt when I come to your church? And he he's a big guy, and he rolled back in his chair, and he says, no, he says, I'm not going to try to change you. That's God's job. Mm. 
He says, I know my job. That's to love you. Mm. So, you know, so that process began, I think, right there with those kind words. And I realized that I was in an encounter, not with Jeff or the church or anything else, but the Lord Jesus Christ. And I I knew that I was going to focus on him. I didn't know how long it was going to take, but I was willing to commit my life to him and then spend time with him. And that's when my life was transformed during that prayer. But most interesting is that what I have found is like in my life, I was not homosexual. I didn't have same-sex attraction. Mm -hmm. What I found is in working with the hundreds, even thousands of people, mostly men that have been married, uh, adult men, they're suffering from things like words they've never, people have never heard of, like autogynephilia, transvestic fetish disorders. And, and these are disorders that are uh, such that you're not engaging in sexual relations with another person. You're self-gratified by autogynephilia or transvestic fetish. So, you know, these are, these are ideas where people think, People used to send me books all the time, how to get over homosexuality. I go, I'm not homosexual. I, I have had so few homosexual men contact me and ask for help. They're all heterosexual men that had something happened mm-hmm. and they either had body dysmorphia or they had dissociative disorders or bipolar disorder, or schizophrenia. They had some psychological, emotional, or sexual disorder that was never properly addressed before they diagnosed him with gender dysphoria. So these are the term you used earlier, comorbidities. We need to begin to address these comorbidities. We could actually cease uh, doing surgery and hormone therapy on many of these people and deal with their comorbidities instead of trying to change their genders, which they will soon regret and that's why the suicide rates are so high because they're misdiagnosing these individuals. Right, and and even after surgery, even in environments that are trans-affirming, the suicide rates are dozens of times higher than than the normal rates because the problems still remain. And Walt, I guess you had maybe a short period of time of like, this is it, I'm home, I found my way, but but that went away, huh? Yeah, I did. You know, especially right after I had the surgery, I'm still in the hospital. You feel like, okay, I finally made it. I got rid of the all of the things that were happening, that, that voice in my head that was telling me that I was born wrong and that now I'm, I'm fixed, right? So, you know, I went through this and I got a good job working for the uh, FDIC, working for the federal government. I worked at the post. I had good jobs, uh, but... What happened was that I realized that you cannot change me into a woman. And that began this process where I challenged the doctors and and the surgeon in, in really, can you do this? And since then, the people who write me about having regretted doing this, one of the words that they use all the time is I realized that they did not change me. Mm. Got it. Got it. All right. Let's uh, let's go to the phones in Charlotte, North Carolina. Stacy, thanks for calling the line of fire. Hi. Um, I'm just really um, just thankful that you are addressing this topic because I feel like it's something that as a church body, we don't know how to address. And yeah. as a clinician who is a Christian, we don't always operate in love because we don't understand what everyone is feeling and, and um, what they're walking through. 
And at the root cause, there's always usually a root cause. I find as a clinician, there's something that ha- has happened usually for most uh, clients, why they're having some form of confusion and they don't know how to address it. And as clinicians, we are trained to tell people, however they identify, you affirm them, you always affirm, but there's not a lot of emphasis on addressing the root cause of why the, why these feelings and thoughts came about or why this person is identifying in this way. And some a lot of statistics show there's trauma and abuse usually affiliated with that, but we don't address it. So I just think this is really great for people who want to know that there is hope and there is freedom. And it eventually, usually it comes through Jesus and our identity in him, but we are not trained or taught to bring this into therapy. Yeah, and, and, and Stacy, there's pressure against you bringing it in. You know, mm-hmm. transgender activists oh, yeah. effectively got the DSM-5 changed so the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, so that you change definitions, no longer gender identity disorder, because it's, it's not a disorder. And then you had transgender yeah. activists push Kenneth Zucker out of a job. He was probably the foremost gender specialist in, in Canada. And, and he you know, often said, yeah, there's successful results. And this was not from a fundamentalist Christian viewpoint. He was just treating people where they were. Uh, so there, there is pressure. Think of this, pressure on you as a trained clinician not to do what is best for your clients due to a, 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 a political or cultural stance. That is so unfair. It is so terribly unfair to you and to those that come to you. So God bless you. May the Lord use you. And Walt, over to you. Yeah, you know, this is my favorite subject because when I have someone who contacts me, the very first thing I begin to do is try to find out what happened that caused them to begin to behave this way. And what I find is they just had something, whether it's, as I said before, sexual abuse, emotional abuse, psychological abuse, something happened, as the clinician said, something happened that caused them to engage in this behavior. And once I can help them identify what that was, and 100% of the time in the people I work with, they can tell me what happened to them. Mm. And when they find that out, they began to reflect on, geez, I never needed to do this surgery. This was a mistake. And so that's a key element. And we need to be focusing on the comorbidities and what happened that caused them to not want to be who they are. Yeah. And, and Stacy, when you're able to watch In His Image, again, it's inhisimage.movie. And shoot us a note. Let us know what you think of it or shoot a, a note over to, to Walt at his website, sixchangeregret.com. In his image, that movie. Love to hear your thoughts on it, Stacy, and may God bless you. Walt, I'm just looking at a post that was put up on Facebook. Uh, uh, we have a daughter who recently went her way to remove her precious breasts. My wife is devastated. Background: her biological dad was a drug addict, and it, it goes on. And just yep. painful, painful story. Now, look, exactly. You may say, "I'm trans. That's not my story." Well, it is the story of plenty others. It is the story of plenty others. And are you saying we shouldn't help them? We shouldn't speak to them? And is anyone arguing that it's better to put a child through hormone blockers than sex change surgery, than hormones for the rest of their life? That's better than trying to help them from the inside out Hmm. without body mutilation and hormones for life? Uh, There's a caller from Seattle, uh, Siobhan. I apologize for not being able to bring you on the air. Time is short. But what about the pronoun question? Walt, do, do we comply? If, if I know someone for 20 years 
and now John says he's Jane. Do I call him Jane? Do I call him she? What's the best way to approach well, that? Well, you know, everybody's going to deal with this one in their own way. I had a friend, Bill, who I worked with for over 30 years. Bill was my closest friend. I changed to Laura, and I went to Bill, and I said, Hey, Bill, you got to start calling me by my female pronouns. you got to call me Laura. And, you know, this is the way it's got to be. And Bill looked at me, and he says, Okay. He says, I got it. I'm just going to call you wacko. And so what was really kind of funny to me, because I laughed at it, and to this day, even after I detransition, Bill calls me wacko. So I think we get way caught up in these pronouns, and they, they become much too big of an issue. And I, I, I have found that you can actually talk to somebody for a long period of time, like I have with you. You don't have to use pronouns. You know, the only time you use a pronoun is when the person isn't in front of you. are talking about, I talked to her the other day, something like that. When you're facing somebody, you don't really use pronouns. Right. And again, uh, Siobhan, everyone's going to work this out differently. The key thing is to merge love and truth together. If you can merge love and truth together, you'll help everyone that you're dealing with. Uh, again, friends, go to sexchangeregret.com especially if you're struggling, support the work that Walt Heyer is doing. Check out some of his books and holding in front of me a transgender's faith and then watch in his image dot movie and share it with everyone you can. Walt, you got a great legacy waiting mm -hmm. for you. Just turned 80 years old. I, I believe you're going to see a lot of encouraging news in the years you have ahead of, of you. And then forever, you're going to meet people who will thank you for being a faithful witness. Thank you, Dr. Brown. I appreciate being on. God bless.